Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Good morning. Good morning to you. I missed you when I did uh, my solo podcast. I missed you terribly. I'm sorry, uh, but I want I'm sure you, you to... did a great job. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's <laughs> it's hard when I get no feedback. You know, I'm just talking. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I'm talking. I don't get to see your smiling face. You don't get to add your little comments, uh, which everybody <laughs> loves. And while I was in Texas and also all the all the other places, you know, I did twelve reteach breach seminars since April first. Wow, that's awesome. Probably over two hundred and forty birth workers got great. trained in breach delivery. And I mentioned in the solo podcast that two days after I had this, I had this resident in my class last time. Mm-hmm. And two days later, she sends me a text that says, Oh my God, guess what? I, I had a breach. breach. She had a breach birth and <laughs> yeah. she, she said it went beautifully and she knew exactly what to do. I mean, nothing Gosh. makes me happier. I mean, there's things that are tied, but, but nothing makes me happier than hearing those kind of stories. So um, there are things that are tied. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, hearing from my daughter. I see. I see. I mean, I'm not saying it's the most happy thing in the world, but it's tied with all the, a lot of the happy things in the world Mm -hmm. to hear that sort of stuff. And, and to know that, you know, just this year, I trained 240 some people to have the skill that a year ago, they didn't, you know, some of them had it a little bit anyway. A lot of people take Rick's and David's course and my course. And I really admire those people because they're gluttons, not for punishment, but they're, they're gluttons for knowledge. And, and yeah. take both courses, but they're different. Our courses are different. So I think mm-hmm. it's worthwhile for people that really want to learn the skill to learn it from two people. I've done both. And here in Santa Barbara, well, in San Inez, which is uh, about 45 minutes between Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo, our friend Nicole Morales is coming to teach Spinning Babies Weekend. So she's going to teach, you know, the basics of spinning babies, but she's also going to do spinning babies in regards to resolving shoulder dystocias and also in regards to breach. So I've learned from you. I learned from David and Rixa. Now I'm going to learn, you know, from a midwife, from a, from a midwifery perspective. And I think, you know, that's the important thing is to continue to learn because you take a little bit from everybody and then you have your own way of doing it. And we said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, you know, it's the stories, it's the hearing what we have to say that reverberates in people's head. And I think that that's such an important thing too. Yeah. Nicole Morales is just brilliant and she's very calm. Whenever I had a client that I shared with her, yeah, I always felt really comfortable, even if, you know, she's two hours away down in San Diego and I wouldn't get there. I wasn't even worried because, you know, Nicole's there. She wasn't either. (laughs) Yeah. And when you, um, you, you mentioned storytelling, hang on, you, you mentioned storytelling and I talk about yeah. this at the podcast. I mean, not the podcast. This is the podcast. This is the podcast. <laughs> I, I talk about this at the seminars in that we remember things because there's something remarkable about them and stories is the best way to remember things. And, you know, through tradition, along through time, um, storytelling was an art. And when I talk to the people who attend my seminar, I talk about stories and I hear their stories and they hear my stories. And one of the things that one of the slides I have is a lyric from a song by Simon and Garfunkel 
that I must have heard 500 times when I was traveling in the 70s and 80s. I did a lot of road trips and I had a tape cassette player in my car and I had basically a Boz Skaggs tape and a uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits tape. (laughs) (laughs) And I I played them over and over again. Otherwise, I was listening to pretty much AM radio, I guess, as I went along. Mm -hmm. And one of the songs is The Boxer by Simon and Garfunkel. And there's a line at the very beginning that goes, all lies and jest, still a man hears what he wants to hear, and he disregards the rest. And I must have heard that a thousand times and never really known what it meant until one time when I was teaching my course and I was talking about cognitive dissonance. And these guys, like the Monty Python guys, they were visionaries. Their lyrics mean something, and the stories they told in their songs meant something. But a man hears what he wants to hear, and he disregards the rest. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that just blows off the tongue when you're singing it, but you're not really thinking, what does it mean? But it actually Mm -hmm. is exactly what we deal with every day in, in our profession and some of the I'm not using that word, but some of the information that isn't correct <laughs> that's put out there all the time, which might get to something we're going to talk about in a, yeah. little, bit, in a little bit today. <laughs> did you want to say something? Go ahead. I did. In regards to hearing our voices in their heads, there was a comment that I copied that I wanted to read from Java Maddie on Instagram. And she said, just thought I would update you. Baby came at 41 plus five, a long labor and beautiful water birth. Yours and birthing instincts knowledge echoed in my mind. And even with a tiny shoulder dystocia, whatever that means, tiny shoulder dystocia, I birthed my- That means it wasn't a shoulder dystocia. Right. (laughs) Sticky shoulders. Um, I birthed my baby with a hands-off traditional midwife. I just thought that was awesome that she could hear us in her head as she was doing what she needed to do bring her baby inside. And I saw a post today, and I think it was from our friend Christine Loria, that showed a breech birth in water. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It was just a photo of the baby almost out to the head. And she describes how the baby, how the baby is, used, is benefiting from being in the water. And one of the things that I teach about breech is that all fours birthing for breech is beneficial because you have gravity working for you. Mm-hmm. But when you're underwater, you don't have gravity working for you. Mm-hmm. But Christine's picture was a woman sitting down, almost essentially in lithotomy position, in which case the baby's floating upwards, which is exactly mm-hmm. what you want it to do. So I really mm-hmm. never thought about that because we're always talking about how breaches should be born on all fours and how much I hate water birth when it comes to breaches because you can't assess tone as well or color. And then the gravity, you, you negated gravity, which is to your benefit. But in the lithotomy position, it actually makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because then mm-hmm. the baby floats upward, which is sort of it's doing its own Brock maneuver. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. So I just wanted to, you know, you mentioned Instagram and then these I'm having flight of ideas right now. By the way, you notice that I'm sitting on a chair. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't have any furniture. Yeah, right. So you, you know what chair this is? This is my folding rocking chair from the beast. <laughs> So I have have my rocking chair. I love it. It's the only piece of furniture I have in the entire house. Uh, That's awesome. Hello, hello. (laughs) I know we have a little bit of an echo today because we're in an empty room. Okay, so I think it's funny what you said about you didn't want to say the word. And I actually did think misinformation. um, We it was brought to our attention that Joe Rogan, who's 
He's got millions of followers. He had on a comedian. What was her name? Bridget. Do you remember her last name, Stu? I knew it about four seconds ago. I just forgot it. <laughs> Fatazi. I think Fatazi is her last name. Yeah. Both comedians, right? I don't, I don't um, know if I'm pronouncing that right, but yeah, Fatazi. P-H-E-T-A-S-Y is her last name. Yeah. So what was the date of yesterday? November 1st, right? Yes. Yeah. Day of the dead. So it came out either yesterday or on Halloween. So you guys can go back and listen to it if you'd like. Although I can't believe that that man talks for two and a half, three hours every time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long yeah. time to talk. He's got a lot of things to say. Yeah. So I don't have any problem with Joe Rogan normally, but it was brought to my attention that he had this woman on talking about lots of other things, but she talked about her cesarean and they started talking about home birth and said a lot of things that I would consider to be misleading misinformation. And so we thought today we would break that down for you and just kind of talk about our thoughts on what was said. Yeah, um, he's a very good interviewer. He's really a good interviewer because he has a style that just gets people to talk because he's Mm -hmm. not intimidating. I mean, he's an intimidating person figure-wise. He's, I think he's a martial arts guy originally. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, uh, comedian originally, and then he started to get into martial arts. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't didn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he has a very nice style and he has interesting people on sometimes. Sometimes it's stuff that, you know, he's very eclectic. He, yeah. he talks about every subject pretty much known to mankind. And he seems to be able to carry a conversation on a lot of those things. But like many people who don't know much about our subject, birth, I think especially men, they, it makes them a little uncomfortable. It, it makes them a little nervous. And like the interview that Z-Dog did with uh, Dr. Duddy that I broke down mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, you could tell that Z-Dog, it's, a lot of men are uncomfortable with talking about girl parts and and things that happen to women's bodies and that sort of thing. And then to have a conversation with somebody who's ultimately a comedian and was more of doing a shtick than I think really talking honestly about the process in a venue that has millions of followers yeah, is a potential, well, it is a problem. And I mean, from Lindsay Milas to about 50 other people within hours were messaging me and said, he should have you on. You should go on there, blah, blah. I would, you know, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big celebrity. I'm not a big person. I don't even know who Bridget Fatazi is even, but obviously some people know who she is. You're a celebrity in our our world. I am. And I would go on in a heartbeat and I would have a conversation with him and I would be very respectful of him and try to educate people as to, you know, it's fun to joke about things. A lot of truth is said in jest, but a lot of discomfort comes out as comedy. And, you know, the idea that you listen to what he was saying about woman's bottom and how, you know, like, I can't, can't imagine and that sort of thing. And, and why would anyone want to do, oh, oh, he gave this classic thing about why would anyone want to do this? You know, it's so painful. Why would anyone want to do this without pain relief? That sort of thing. Yeah, go, well, let's, Let's break it down. All right. Well, I didn't take any notes from it. I just listened to it on the book. Okay. I was on the I bus, on the beast yesterday <laughs> driving. So I did. And what I think was interesting about her, I mean, obviously every woman has a right to make her own choices about what, how she delivers her baby and what she feels comfortable with. Yeah. This so, has nothing to do with that. This was just, yeah. she's a comedian. Always, and she was trying to be yeah. funny, I think. Well, the thing is that she said early on and 
this interview, when we, they start talking about, because it's two and a half hours, I'm going to help you guys out. Um, they start talking about this at about 15 minutes and 55 seconds. So right around then is when this conversation starts. And, but right before that, she starts to talk about her fear and how fearful she was in general about keeping her babies alive. And at some point she talks about her birth plan. The only thing in her birth plan was that she and her baby survive. And that's fine. That's a choice, but it's interesting when you know what we know and we see as much as we do to know that her choices were informed by fear. And that was a big motivator. And you're right. People who are funny and comedians, they deal with those kind of uncomfortable feelings by making jokes about them and to lighten the mood, but they do have a responsibility in regards to how many people are listening and to make sure that they give a balanced perspective. So I really do hope we're kind of calling him out in this episode. I really do hope that he has us on to balance out some of the information. I wouldn't want to talk for three hours, but maybe you, maybe you could talk for three hours. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could, I could tell uh, there's a lot of other subjects I could go off on a tangent with the guy. Cause he's, yeah. a, he's a very interesting guy, but again, I think that this makes people nervous and almost every cliche, I mean, and just, I only listened, did it go on? I mean, I listened to the first segment and then they went off on another tangent. Did they come back to birth later? I, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I just, my friends told me There's that a, it was in the first 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's about 10 or 15 minutes long. Yeah. That's what I listened yeah. to. Yeah. And then, so, you know, just about every cliche in the book, they rattled off. Yeah. Salty yeah. AF. I have my salty AF water bottle here. <laughs> um, Element is one of our sponsors, LMNT. And they are a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS, like us. Like us. Right. I love when you say that. It's, I look <laughs> forward to it every week. It's got electrolytes in it, which is what you really need when you need a, a replenishment, when you're sweating, when you're working out, when you're in labor, when you've been up for 80 hours uh, <laughs> taking care of somebody in labor. Yeah. It would have been good. You might have been more refreshed if you would have had your element. And I probably would have. Right. It's really good for those sorts of situations. And it's and uh, it, it's so much better than some of the other drinks which have sugar or other fake sugars or things in them, as you know, that I drink. I shouldn't, but I do. So um, and it comes in multiple flavors. Bliss's favorite is uh, uh, mango chili and mine is raspberry, mm-hmm. but it comes in. Let's see, I think I got to memorize now citrus and raspberry. Well, raspberry is my favorite and um, orange. And lemon habanero and uh, watermelon, watermelon, unflavored, unflavored and And chocolate salt. Right. Anyway, if you go to drinkelement.com, that's drinkelement.com and put in the code word birthing instincts, you'll get a free sample pack with any order. Uh, Please uh, support them as they support the podcast. And we just want to send our gratitude to them. Thank you, Element. Thanks, Element. So in the beginning, they start talking about isn't it interesting that we are attracted to, they were talking, she was talking about breasts and that she realized, you know, they talked about her nudes and stuff like that, that she had done before. But then she was realizing as she became a mother in breastfeeding that her breasts actually had utility and it kind of changed the way that she was thinking about her body. And the conversation started to go into, isn't it interesting that as males were attracted to the type of body or breasts because we know that those women are, and he couldn't remember the word. And she said, fuckable. That was one of the very first things. And he was talking about 
I think vitality, you know, that a woman, you know, we talk about like makeup emulates a woman who's healthy. So like when we put rosy color on our cheeks and our lips and make everything full and plump and our hair long, it shows that we are, we have vitality and that we can produce. And so they were kind of talking about that generally in the beginning, but I thought it was really interesting that they couldn't even find the words to talk about what they were wanting to talk about, which is that that woman has, you know, vitality anyways. And then they started to get into the narrow hips and that, I think that's what really you and I probably would really, and everybody who's in our industry would get up in a tirade about. So she said, I don't have breeding hips. Yeah. Yeah. And he said something about narrow waist and large hips is what brings, you know, is can have a baby. And then she starts to talk about her cesarean and joking around about how her baby came out of the sunroof, which again, you know, when we're talking about something like cesarean and later in the interview, she starts to talk about the physical problems that she's having from her cesarean section, that she's using a physical therapist, that she still doesn't have strength, that she has a lot of friends who have had cesareans who have back pain, that she's having back pain. So yes. Having a cesarean is a beautiful thing to be able to utilize when we have a complication, but it is a major, it's major abdominal surgery. So, you know, when we're talking about these things socially and we joke around about them and say, you know, my baby came out of the sunroof, it lightens up, you know, what experience you just had. And I understand that, but also not dismiss the fact that this is a major thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're summarizing it really well. I don't know if I have much to add to that because I sort of have already said that when people are uncomfortable with something, they often use comedy. And so that was what was going on there. Unfortunately, a lot of people that don't have the knowledge of most of our listeners are going to be listening to that. And it's going to affirm their beliefs that my hips are too small or why would I want to have a baby with, you know, why would I want to be uncomfortable and have pain when I'm in labor, or, you know, or C-section is like just unzipping a sunroof and, you know, pushing the button and closing it back up again. And it's right. not that big a deal. And yeah, you know, it's, we need to redirect the whole conversation about birth in this country, because like death and birth, we've sterilized it and people really don't understand the processes. And they certainly don't understand mammalian birth and all the, the benefits of following nature's design and not meddling with something. You know, this brings me to this sort of thing. A lot of times I have thoughts going in my head when you're talking or when I was listening. And, you know, one of the things about moving into a new home is you have to accept chaos and you have to accept uncertainty. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that I can't figure out how to turn this new washing machine on or, (laughs) you know, where's the fuse box? I was looking all over the house yesterday for the fuse box, couldn't find the fuse box. So you have to accept that. And once you accept that, you have a sense of calm and you have just a sense that, yeah, you know what? Okay. I can sleep on the floor. It'll be fine. The clothes will get washed tomorrow. It's not a big deal. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. You figure it out. But in the medical model, like a lot of people in life, they can't accept uncertainty. And so they have to control everything. And I was one of those people, you know, and it's miserable to be somebody that wants to control things all the time because you find out that you can't exactly and you often make it worse and it's 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 really uncomfortable 
And when they talk about birth in this way, that it's, you know, why wouldn't you give birth in the hospital? Why would anybody be foolish enough to go to stay out of the hospital? Just, it's a way of pushing the problem off on somebody else and saying, I've solved that because I'm going to go to the hospital, let someone else take care of me. Not even looking into what you're actually getting yourself into. And that the hospital, in most cases, is detrimental. Yeah. Or less than neutral, I'll say. Um, <laughs> it is. It, it, yeah. it makes things worse by far. And you can just tell by the stories we hear. We talked about stories earlier. But also by the outcomes and the data. I'm not saying that if we took 99% of people and had them birthing at home with unskilled people, we probably have terrible outcomes as well. But there's got to be something that when we talk about birth, we need to talk about it in a way that reminds people that this is a normal function of the body. And if you leave it alone, it's going to be significantly more likely that the outcome is going to be as nature intended, which is to, as Bridget would say, a live mom and a live baby at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, you said something the other day, we were talking about amniotic fluid and one of my Instagram fellow travelers sent me something. She says, yeah, when my mentor taught me about amniotic fluid, the bag of water, she said, if it ain't broke, don't break it. <laughs> I love and it's that. Like, and it's, you know, and leave it alone. And the same thing here. But they don't understand that. And when they talk like they talked on the Joe Rogan's podcast, from my perspective, as somebody who knows birth really well, I could just see that they were both anxious about the whole thing. They're both trying to be funny. They're entertainers. And but they don't a, know. And they don't know. So there's a couple more quotes that, yeah. that they said that I think that we should we should go through. And I love I love when you jump in too. So it's time to talk about another one of our sponsors. And this is a brand new sponsor who I was fortunate enough to meet some of the people that work there when I was at a dinner in Austin, Texas, from thisisneeded.com. So Bliss, tell us a little bit about them. Well, you know what's so cool is Julie, one of the founders was my client. She had a beautiful home birth with me. And I know this company really well because she's in Los Angeles. And Needed is a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for mamas. Needed offers the most comprehensive prenatal multi on the market with the best nutrient forms and dosages to help you thrive, not just survive. Not only is this nutritionally complete, but it also comes in three options, a powder, which I really love when they do powders for prenatals because some women don't really like to take pills, especially when they feel nauseous. So they can throw it in a smoothie and get a lot of great benefits. So that I really do love. Capsules or essentials. The founder of Needed are two mamas who discovered through their own nutrient testing that they were extremely deficient in the key prenatal nutrients, despite eating healthfully and taking a prenatal. They dug into the research and found that they were not alone. 90% of women who take a prenatal vitamin and yet 95% are left with nutrient deficiencies. So Julie and Ryan went to work and redesigned prenatal multi from the ground up with a group of perinatal nutrition and health practitioners. So check them out. They have an amazing line of prenatal vitamins and choline and collagen and all kinds of really great stuff. So check them out. Yeah, I got a gift bag from them and it was filled to the brim with all the different things they have. And 
once I get my medicine chest in order in the new house, I'll be excited to open them all and start giving the ones that are appropriate for me to try. Yeah, because they have a line for men too now. That's right. And, and you know what? There's a lot of variety out there. It's kind of like when you're shopping for shampoo and you look at the shelf and you don't even know where to begin if you don't have a brand that's your favorite. So let's make Needed our new favorite brand and, and use them. And all you have to do is to go to thisisneeded.com. Just spell it out. T-H-I-S-I-S. N-E-E-D-E-D.com. And in this case, put in the code word birthing instincts, and you'll get either 20% off a one-time purchase, which is a really good deal, or you'll get a hundred dollars off of a three months or greater subscription. So go to thisisneeded.com and use birthing instincts and give them a try. They support us. So we're going to support them. Yay, needed. Thank you, needed. So they said home birth is weird. Because if something goes sideways, you want people around who've had a lot of kids coming out of the vagina on a weekly basis. They're really good at it. So what that's saying is that the person who is attending the birth is the one who's responsible for things turning out. And just because they're attending the birth means they're really good at it. Because they've had a bunch of babies come out of the vagina on a weekly basis. But this is the money ball thing again. If they're really good at it, how come they're not really good at it? Right. So let's talk about those statistics. That's what I would like to go on and talk about. And the thing is, is that, you know, what you were saying, birth inherently is meant for people to survive. Way before we invented C-sections and hospitals and all of these things, we were giving birth like animals, almost like mammals, like we talk about all the time. So if that wasn't actually the case, that we are meant to survive, then we wouldn't be here as a species. Yeah, people will argue that, that well, in those days, women died from hemorrhage and they died from infection and stuff like that. And yeah, they, they did. But a lot of times it was because the, the people attending them were washing their hands. Right, <laughs> but, exactly. But putting, putting that aside, yes, I mean, the maternal mortality did improve with modern medicine to a point. But with all the interventions since and a 500% increase in the cesarean section rate in the last 50 years, maternal mortality and neonatal mortality hasn't improved one iota. So, you know, and and then the Michelle O'Donnell theory, which is not his theory alone, but the idea that all mammals do better laboring and giving birth when they're alone or by themselves. Now, humans have, because of their cortical brain, you know, they may need the support of their partner or their doula or their team. And that's understandable because you can't separate the cortical brain from the primitive brain in a human. But animals don't have that same thing going on. And so they would prefer to be left alone and let their body do its instinctual stuff. And they don't understand that. They don't understand why a woman would ever want to be not surrounded by people with medical training. Right. But the problem with people with medical training is they have medical training. (laughs) (laughs) That they feel like they have to interfere. That's right. right. You know what I mean is they don't train them to do nothing. They don't train them to observe quietly. They train them to move things along or speed things up or or intervene or, you know, I got another, look, this is all tying in early. Midwife on my consult service sent me a thing this morning, a 20-week scan report. And on the 20-week scan report, Everything was fine, except they mentioned that the cervix, the proximal part of the cervix was dilated 0.5 centimeters. 
<laughs> okay. And so I asked her how long the cervix was, and she sent, she sends me back 5.65 centimeters. So a normal cervix is about four centimeters long. So this is a cervix that's exceptionally closed and long. Yeah. And what they're seeing is a is a contraction or even a uh, the lower uterine segment just coming together down there because the cervix, no way a cervix is 5.6 centimeters long. So they're seeing as a little separation down there. It's not even the cervix. It's But now, what are they going to do for this woman? They're going to bring her back. They've told her what she can't do. They put her on specific precautions. They're going to bring her back and do another ultrasound on her. And, and the whole thing starts because they found something that doesn't mean anything. And don't worry about it, but worry about it. Right. It's like the isolated echogenic left ventricular focus, this little calcification in the heart. When you have normal other parameters on ultrasound and a normal genetic screen, like an NIPT test, it doesn't mean anything. Yet you tell the woman, it doesn't mean anything, but I want to see you back in six weeks. And of course, for six weeks, she's worried that her baby says something wrong with her heart. So, right. yeah. So the medicine just doesn't know how to not say something or not do something. And that and that's the problem. And I was that person. I came out of residency exactly like that. And the process took me a long time to make a change into the practitioner that I am now. Yeah. So a few more things. Mm -hmm. So then they started talking about a rise in popularity and that, you know, then they started joking around about like churn butter and wood panels and like going back to the good old days, but that, you know, really people are having, they don't want to do the work of the churning their butter themselves. So they're having it shipped to them. And, but they're comparing women's desire to birth their babies naturally to, you know, wood going panels back in time, the good old days. Yeah. yeah. And he said that they have an idealistic view. He'd saying this, who has no experience, who's, who's a man and is talking about this in a really uninformed way, said natural in air quotes. And then he talks about birthing in a bathtub. And then they said, you know what, just go to the hospital. And she starts to talk about that she went down the rabbit hole and started looking at the statistics and found terrible statistics. And that 50% of oh, yeah. women. I, I remember that part. Yeah, how could you forget? I almost, had an, I almost had an accident. <laughs> exactly. I almost, I almost drove off the road when she said that. <laughs> 50% of women who try and have a home birth end up going to the hospital. Now, I have no idea where she got that statistic from because I haven't, I mean, maybe there's some providers who, you know, take their clients to the hospital that frequently. But as we know, as We've talked about most of the time when we transport, it is a non-emergent transport. So it's quote unquote, I will use air quotes for this one, failure to progress is often a reason why we might end up transporting to the hospital. But these are not emergencies and it's definitely not 50%. My statistic for first time moms is 10% or 8% depending on the year. And then a true emergency is less than 1%. And so women who have already had a vaginal delivery, what we call multips, it's usually less than 1% of them that would transport to the hospital. So we talk about misinformation. They need some fact checkers on this one for sure. Yeah. After January 1st, if she was licensed in California, she could lose her license for saying that. Joking. I'm, jo I'm <laughs> she joking. Doesn't have, 
she doesn't have a license, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> Assembly Bill 2098. We won't go there. Yeah. Let me say a couple things about that. Okay. All right. There are some papers out, including like the wax paper. And then, of course, my two friendly uh, former Cornell guys who often talk about 40% transport rates. And and so there's probably somewhere in the literature, someplace. Now, again, I can tell you that, well, I can't tell you. My presumption is that Bridget was not reading the literature. She was reading Facebook posts uh, and social media posts. I don't posts. know. Yeah. But I know from, from reading the literature that the transport rate, you're right, for first-time moms from home birth, again, we're talking about a cherry-picked population of women who are generally low risk, which is the kind we're talking about at home birth. It should be. Um, for first-time moms, runs around 7 to 20%, depending on the type of practice you have. And I can say my own practice with breech moms, first-time breech moms, the transport rate is 20%. Mm -hmm. The transport rate for multiples with breeches or any baby in my practice is essentially 1%. You're right. Mm -hmm. I've yet to transport a multiple breech from home to a hospital. I've had one set of twins out of 48 multiplicitous sets of twins in the paper that Rick's and I are working on. Rick's, if you're listening, we need to get working on that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's nowhere near that. And when they, and then when somebody, again, who's on an iconic show like Joe's show says that 50% of women who try to birth at home are going to end up being transported, it's not misinformation. It's not gaslighting. It's just dumb. And it's frightening and it's scary. And it's from, you're right. It's, it all resonates from their point of origin, which is fear, which is what you talked yeah. about at the beginning. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to Floor Cruz this morning because she's going to come on our podcast soon, which is very she's exciting. She's such a badass. <laughs> she's such a badass. And she said, I have millions of people who listen to me and I have to be responsible for what I say, you know, and so do people like that. And, you know, again, you can have your opinion you can have your preferences of what you personally would like to do. But when you say things like that and say that it's a statistic, it is irresponsible. And so I that's do the word. That's the word I was looking for. Irresponsible. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So then a couple more points I want to make because I did take notes. I was following your playbook. I'm so glad because, yeah, I would have had to write on the side of a McDonald's bag or something. Oh, like I kind of thought that we would, uh, you know, compare notes, but that's okay. And then she talked about her mom had five cesareans. Yes. And so we talk about how does your birth and how does your family story and the people that you're surrounded by affect how you think about and perceive childbirth. And so if your mom had five cesareans and you were born cesarean and that's what you were surrounded by. And I pointed to the beginning that a lot of her decisions came from fear. That is what we're talking about rather than an actual, you know, that childbirth, she said, you know, childbirth is still so dangerous. And that is a perspective that we are fed. And, you know, I was watching, gosh, what was I watching last night? I was watching a show and a baby was coming out and I was like, oh, here we go. You know, it's going to be this terrible thing. They showed her bleeding and they're like, she passes out, by the way, the baby comes out, baby's fine. She passes out and they're like, what's going on? And then they show normal amount of blood, by the way. I was like, that's not a lot of blood. And they're like, oh, it's a lot of blood. She's hemorrhaging. She'll be fine. She was fine. But it's always has to be dramatic. Everything we see in the media with childbirth is 
you know, I can't say always because there are some people that balance it out, but the majority of the time, what we're being fed is that childbirth is dangerous. You could die. You should go to the hospital. And there is another side to that. And definitely when you get into the statistics, it shows you that with midwives taking care of low risk moms and then being able to support them and knowing when they're no longer low risk and utilizing obstetrical services and hospitals and what they have, that's when we have the best statistics. So the pendulum has to swing back into some kind of balance where we, again, we create bridges, which is one of the things we love to do on this podcast, create bridges, open conversations to say like, neither one of them on their own is great, but together, like what's that commercial from the seventies? It's like um, peanut butter and chocolate. When they come together, they're amazing. You know, if we could start to have these conversations about how we can actually benefit each other We both have expertise, just like you and I, of when we bring those things together, something really great could happen in this country and around the world because people look to us for what we're doing. And so then it influences the rest of the world as well. Yeah, I have a couple of good friends of mine, one of whom is a comedian, and I've been to some of her shows where she, you know, again, it's easy fodder for a female comedian to start make fun of her female parts. And about her birth or about her menstruation or whatever. And, you know, so I understand how it could digress easily when you have two comedians having a conversation about something that probably makes them both uncomfortable that don't know a lot about. An analogy, I mean, if they want to give opinion, uh, that's fine. But you're right. When they quoted statistics or whatever, and people need to understand also who are listening, a lot of the people who wrote me were flabbergasted about this. And you know, I would I would like to tell them to like maybe calm down a little bit too. It's just Joe Rogan, all right. And <laughs> wow. you know, yeah, I know he's, but he's. If you take your um, life decisions from a pundit, you got to reevaluate your um, your priorities. But unfortunately, Stu, that is, and this is again what Flora and I were talking about this morning. You know, she says things like that. We're barely the those of us who are like trying to get traction in this world of having the general population be able to hear what are the statistics? What are the realities? What are your rights? She's like something like that, this flippant comment that comes out on somebody's podcast, who's got millions of followers. It sets us back 20 years. Is what yeah, said. it does. You know? It does. Yeah. Listen, I remember when the show ER was real popular, it was probably what in the eighties and they had this woman who was pregnant coming to the ER with pretty much everything possible wrong with her that could possibly go wrong with her. She was having a clamptic seizure. The baby's head was coming out. She was in the ER. They had to do a Zeffirelli maneuver. The the labor delivery was was too busy to take care of her. So they had to deal with it in the ER. And it was the talk forever. You're right. And it does set everybody back. It does freak everybody out. So, you know, that's why we're talking about it. I'm just saying that you know, I don't ever want to stifle people's opinion because that means that I can't say that, you know, this quarterback sucks or, or you know, this car is a lemon or, you know, because I'm not an expert in quarterbacks or cars, but I still want to be able to talk about them if I want to. But yeah, but you're right. I mean, there is a responsibility and Joe Rogan should probably have exactly. somebody on to counter mm-hmm. that conversation. Us, uh, us, pick us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it would be great to have us because we come at it from two different ways, two different places, and we've come to the same conclusion. 
And, you know, that would be great. But I don't care, even if it's not us, it's just somebody who is like-minded. I don't want them to have, like, I don't want them to have somebody from Cornell University on. <laughs> or Floor. Have Floor on. She'll, she'll speak about it. So one last thing that I want to talk about, they started talking about vaginal birth after cesarean. And he said, will they let you do that? <laughs> yeah, I remember so, that too. A big problem with that, right? They can't let you do that, right? You can decide that you're going to have your baby through your vagina anytime that you decide you want to do that. And he said, when did that change? And she said, pretty recently. Oh. And these are all completely inaccurate and totally mislead people. There is an amazing international cesarean awareness network, ICANN. So those of you who are listening, who maybe aren't familiar with some of that stuff, they have a ton of information about vaginal birth after cesarean, which, you know, there are hospitals <laughs> like the hospital that I have near me. And I'm sure many in other parts of the country that aren't as advanced, but you always have the option to be able to have a vaginal birth, and hopefully you can have a provider that will support your decisions and your desires to do that. Yeah. I mean, VBAC's been around since long, pretty much as long as I have. It went, it's gone through some evolutions where everyone was forced to have a VBAC and then they, they pushed it too hard and then they had problems. But even back 12 years ago in 2010, they had the VBAC, uh, NIH VBAC consensus panel and all that. So VBAC has been around for quite a while. And VBAC, as we always say, is just a vaginal birth. It is not a procedure. It is not something that requires extra skill. The risks are a lot smaller than many other things that can happen in life in general. And we don't consider those things to be high risk. Um, right. right. The and risk of having the risk of having a really bad outcome. I use this in my seminar, the risk of having a really bad outcome. And by bad outcome, I don't mean a it's a euphemism for a, a baby that's brain damaged or dies, which is obviously terrible, is about the same as a woman who's age 25 have, having a Downs baby. And we would never tell a woman who's 25 years old, we, well, we wouldn't, but the idea of scaring a woman who's 25 years old into thinking you might have a Downs baby is not something that we would do. It's certainly prior to the NIPT easy blood testing, we would never recommend genetic testing on a 25-year-old. Yeah. And that's the same risk. And then, and then there's other risks that are far more common than this that we don't even mention to pregnant women, yet we take this one and blow it out of proportion because, of course, there's financial motivations and other things that go on that make that the case. You know, and when you talked about the fact that she had a C-section and her mother had five C-sections, it just brought up a thought in my mind about epigenetics and we've talked about this on the podcast before that when a when a fetus does not experience labor from its mother and does not get bathed in its mother's hormones during labor including oxytocin there's a theory that that maybe that they don't develop oxytocin receptors on their little little baby uterus and that eventually when they get older and they get pregnant their uteruses don't contract the same or they don't do the same thing and so over time are we going to, by doing a section on 35 to 40%, 70% in some countries, are some countries' women, generations from now, going to lose the ability to go into labor? And uh, Yeah. And then what is that going to do to the babies? Besides their little uterus is not contracting, what else is it happening? Because oxytocin is your bonding hormone. It is your love hormone. It's the hormone that makes you want to look at somebody and make eye contact with them. As Joe Rogan says, 
that when they have nice hip, nice waist and big hips, you know, they're that word that we won't talk about on the podcast again, but that thing that guys like, you know, maybe that all that stuff will disappear because we're changing the human species yeah. by all these interventions. And you're right. We didn't, I didn't go deeper into that birthing hips. Um, yeah. I forgot. But could, you know, well, let's, let's our babies with- are, yeah, our babies are meant to fit through our pelvis unless there's something that happens, as you like to say, unless you've had your pelvis was crushed or you have a baby that's an abnormal growth because of something like gestational diabetes or something. If you have a normal pregnancy, your babies are designed to fit through your pelvis, their heads mold. Your pelvis is designed in the way that the bones and the ligaments are and the hormones that flood through your body to be able to open and expand and so that they can fit each other. So looking at somebody from the outside, telling someone that they have narrow hips, telling someone that they don't have birthing hips, that their baby will never fit through their pelvis, either because of the baby size or because of what you're looking at on the outside is irresponsible. There's that word again. Yeah, it is not true. And it is one of those ones that is really perpetuated and passed down. It's even passed down, not just by someone like Joe Rogan, but from woman to woman, from generation to generation, from grandmother, mother, you know, you hear that. And then it's told to you, your mom says, oh yeah, our hips are narrow. I had to have a cesarean. You probably will too. That sticks in your head, you know? And And that's because that's because the original person was told that by her physician. Or by her mom, you know, we just have to start to break these cycles and pull them apart. Just because something happened with your mother does not necessarily mean that that is your future. And we do need to really think about what we say to women about their size and about what's possible for them, because it does start to create this limiting perspective for them. Yes. So interviewers, especially real popular ones, need to be a little bit more responsible. And a little less, right. ir- and less irresponsible. Well, look at us. We sh- we talked about this for a while. We were like, we'll just do a little short one. <laughs> but we did a good job. <laughs> There's no such thing as a little short one. Anyways, it was great to see you today, Stu. Congratulations on your home. I hope that, you know, you start to feel homey very soon. Yeah, I, I'm violating one of my basic tenants, and that's using Amazon. <laughs> I know it's so convenient though, huh? I did that. Well, and you know, there's not a lot of stores in Kanab, you know, like Mm. we don't have, I don't have a department store. I don't have a bed, bath and beyond. I don't have, you know, I'm going, I'm going to go over to St. George next week to have, like I said, to meet up with the midwives there and I'm going to take the beast and I'm going to go early and I'm going to go to bed, bath and beyond. And, you know, I got to buy like a whole bunch of bathroom garbage cans. I got to buy, you know, scrub brushes and I got <laughs> all the things and all the things you need. Eventually I'm going to need uh, like tons of pillows and pillowcases and comforters and all that stuff. And I, you know, and it's hard. It's just me. And I know that my daughter and my future daughter-in-law want to pitch in and help me, but they're not around and I can't sit and wait for them. So I think I might've mentioned once before that I'll, I'll probably end up buying stuff. And then when they come to visit me, they'll go, what is that? You know? Oh, did you pick that out yourself? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) I know. I couldn't wait. I had to have the stuff. So anyway, so great to see you. And, you know, I know you're just getting settled there, but I do hope I get to see you in person here in December. Yeah, I think that somebody misses you. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm going to be back for a couple of weeks to cover Flores. But but I'll have to tell you that that um, 
for the next few podcasts until we get into the holidays, they're going to be shooting from the hip. I think, I, you know, I'm not going to have time to do a whole lot of research when I was on the road and there was nothing to do. I, I could look up all these articles and that's why I kind of went into the, into the weeds with that solo podcast last week where I looked into these thing about Tdap and about the COVID vaccine, the article that came out that said, oh, it's perfectly safe and effective in pregnancy. Right. Mm-hmm. Safe and effective. Thank you for doing uh, that. Yeah, you're welcome. Anyway, I missed you. I'm glad to see you now. You look great. I love it with the hair down and the, and the dorky uh, <laughs> microphone. You don't look dorky at all. And I got my new glasses so they don't reflect so much. I don't know and you look really, that. really cute. Thanks. Do you I'm that gal like me needs to hear that. So. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 